Genesis chapter 37. We'll just read verses 18 through 20. Joseph has been sent by his father to check on his brothers and see how they're doing. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Isn't that interesting? Ten brothers, Benjamin's at home, are not born yet. I think he's at home. Ten brothers, and all of them want to kill brother number 11. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. See, Joseph had dreams. In one of his dreams, so Benjamin was born because there are 11 sheaves bowing down to his sheaf. In another dream, the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to him. And Joseph had made a fatal mistake that a lot of young Baptist preachers make. He told his brothers his dream. They didn't share in his enthusiasm. Behold, this dreamer cometh, verse 20. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Yeah, we will. We'll all see. We'll see what becomes of your dreams and what becomes of mine. Father in heaven, would you guide me by your spirit to say the things that would help your people and please you? Lord, I pray that you'd bind Satan and his demons, that they would fail in their effort to snatch away the seed of your perfect word from the soil of our hearts. Help us to listen and then to obey the voice of your spirit. Help us to respond obediently at invitation time. Bless the preaching. Bless the invitation. We promise to thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. I came along into the work of God at a different era. I was a student at Bob Jones University. And Bob Jones University required all the ministerial students to subscribe to the sword of the Lord. Our Jack Hiles preach at Bob Jones. John Rice heard preach at Bob Jones. And that sword of the Lord came out weekly then. And in those days, Dr. Rice was putting an article in the sword about a great soul-winning church somewhere, big two-page center spread in every article. And I read those stories and I thought, wow. I'd read about a guy going to a town where there was no church and knocking on doors and winning people to Christ and meeting in a motel room and getting some property and building a building and running buses and winning hundreds of people to Christ. And I read story after story like that and I thought, God, I wonder if you'd ever let me do anything like that. I began to dream. I was in Preacher Boy's class, and the teacher, a good man who knew nothing about pastoring, <laughs> but he was teaching us how to do it. Them as can does, them as can't teaches. And uh, he, he said, some of you think you're going to go out of here and pastor a great soul-winning church and run a fleet of buses and see thousands of people saved, and everybody laughed. I didn't laugh. I was next to a friend of mine, John Nelson, whose father, Dr. Ed Nelson, is still alive, 93, 4, 5 years old, preached for Brother Dean Miller on a recent Sunday. I think it was his 94th or 5th birthday. And he pastored a great church in Denver, Colorado. I said to John Nelson, what's so funny about that? He said, I don't know. 
I never really have found out what was funny about that, but I probably have forgotten the incident, except uh, I graduated from college in 1973, was an assistant for two years, and God called me to Bridgeport in 1975 at the age of 22. I became pastor of that church, and, and we began to win people to Christ and see people saved and see the church grow, and, and we began to buy buses. And one day I got a notice from our insurance company, and they said, you're now operating five buses, and so you qualify for a fleet discount. Oh, a fleet of buses. Do you have any dreams? Is there anything that you want to accomplish for God? Can I say to the Heritage Baptist Church, 21 years is a long time. And you've done an awful lot in 21 years. I've been coming now for 15 of those years, and I've seen the crowds grow, and I've seen the congregation expand, uh, not only numerically, but in the kinds of people and the people groups that are being reached. And and, uh, every time I come, there's somebody who just saved. Met somebody tonight, just got saved at the Christmas musical. Glory. And... uh, you built these buildings and now you're trying to get the debt paid down. I think that's all great. But there's a tendency somewhere along in there to stop dreaming and start maintaining. An evangelist came to our church when I was a fairly young pastor and I said, what do you think, what do you see as you travel? What, what, what's going on? What, what are our problems? He said, the biggest problem I see is most guys think they have arrived. You know what's wrong with that? Once you have arrived, you don't go anywhere else. What, what do you, where do you see the Heritage Baptist Church in five years? Where do you see your part in that church in five years? How, how many people do you think there ought to be in this church ten years from now that you have influenced for the gospel? Whose door you knocked on, whom you invited from the workplace, uh, uh, whom you discipled and helped, to whom you gave the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll see what will become of his dreams. So let me give you just four statements from this story tonight. Number one, it's good to dream. Not for self-glory, but for God's glory. Dr. Curtis Hudson said, you may never do everything that you dream, but you'll seldom do anything you didn't dream. There's a rare exception to that, but Bobby Robertson pastored the Gospel Lake Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina, uh, outside of Winston-Salem, in the middle of a cornfield, a phenomenal building, beautiful place. They ran 50 buses, and Dr. Hudson was preaching there one night, and he said, all this just didn't happen. He said, Brother Bobby saw it. He saw those buses. He saw this building with those big white pillars out front. He saw this vast auditorium. After the service, Brother Robertson's son, Steve, was talking. He said, Daddy, that was a good sermon. He said, yeah. And then he said, huh, I never saw nothing. (laughs) I just walk around here and go, my, my, my. Occasionally. But usually, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. Usually, if you don't have any goals, you're certain to reach them. It's good to dream. Statement number two, people who don't have any dreams love to destroy the dreams of people who do have them. Uh, I'm not much for the critics, the skeptics, the ones who tell everybody else how they did it wrong. I'm no fan of Ralph Nader. 
Ralph Nader made his reputation by writing a critique of the Chevrolet Corvair, one of the first economy cars, and he called it unsafe at any speed. Well, I don't know if what he said was right or wrong, but i got a question, Mr. Nader. What car did you build? What, what did you design? What did you accomplish? It's one thing to sit around and pick it what somebody else does. It's another thing to do something. Teddy Roosevelt said something like this. He said, it is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out where the strong man stumbled or the doer of deeds could have done them better. Oh, no, he said, the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred with sweat and tears, who who fails and stumbles and tries again. And if he does fail, at least fails while striving valiantly and will never know his place with those timid souls who know neither failure nor success. Those who have no dreams love to destroy the dreams of those who do. It was October. I got a phone call. It was 1977, I think. And the man said, you know we're getting a bunch of money. I said, yes, sir. They were going to get millions of dollars. I won't tell you the whole backstory, but they were getting money. Lester Olaf was getting money. Bob Graham Florida was getting money. Life Action Singers were getting money from this deal. They were going to get $12 million. He said, I told the man about your ministry and about what's going on there. He said, he's going to give you some money too. I said, wow, that's very nice. He said, would you like to know how much he's going to give you? I said, if you want to tell me. I was dying to know how much he's going to give us. He said, October 1977, he said he's going to give you $725,000. That's not a bad paycheck for a month these days. Even in the Bay Area, you could live on that kind of money if you're careful. But that was a lot of money in 1977. I said, well, I won't count on it until we see it. He said, you can count on it. I've seen the paperwork. It's all said and it's all done. And I thought, what would we do with $725,000? I thought, well, I know what we do. We only have two acres of land. We buy some more property. I know what we do. We build another building. We start a Christian school. We hire some staff members. We give some money to missionaries that needed to build the building and help build the building overseas. I know what I'd do is seven hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Would you like to know how much of the seven hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars we have received so far? We're only seven hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars short. Don't feel bad for me. We only lost 725000 That guy lost $12 million. <laughs> And I think the devil was sitting back somewhere rubbing his hands and fiendishly and saying, Oh, you're going to buy property. You're going to build an auditorium. You're going to hire staff. You're going to start a Christian school. You're going to help a missionary build a building. Yeah, we'll see what will become of your dreams. He was our youth pastor for five years and God called him into evangelism put his house up for sale bought a truck and a trailer started getting meetings going to bring revival to churches going to see God do great works as he traveled around the country and his wife didn't feel so well and so Steve Pettit and his wife Terry went to the doctor and the doctor said we better run some tests and they got the results and he said we better run some more tests And he called her back and said, we're pretty sure you have multiple sclerosis. You know what that means. Cane, a walker, wheelchair, bedridden. Oh, 
I think the devil said, oh, you're going to be an evangelist. You're going to travel around the country. You're going to see God bring revival to churches. You can't travel around living in a trailer with a wife that's going to be bedridden. We'll see what will become of your dreams. Lyle and Barb Wing, nice young couple in our church, had bought a little house, a little maybe 1,000-square-foot house. And a realtor came by and said, somebody saw your house and wants to buy it. And Lyle thought, that's strange. He did some checking at a store called Meyer Thrifty Acres, be like a super Walmart, was going to buy some property behind his house, and they needed to have access from another road. And to do that, they needed to buy Lyle's house. And Lyle Wing sold his house for two and a half times what he paid for it less than a year earlier. I said, Lyle... What are you going to do? He said, I'm going to build another house. He built a nice house in a real nice area. And then one day, Lyle was called to preach. He went to the owner of the place he worked, Mr. Dambro. Mr. Dambro said, Lyle, come on in. I'm glad you're here. You're opening, I'm opening a new store and I'd like you to be in charge of it. And your share of the, uh, your salary will be, it was a thousand dollars a week in about 1981 or two. Lyle said, Mr. Denver, I really appreciate that, but I came in to give you my two weeks' notice. I'm going off to Bible college. I'm going to preach. Didn't care about the job that he might have had, the money that he might have made. He's glad he had a, an opportunity to serve God. And, and I said, Lyle, you got some money now from this house that you're selling. I said, uh, don't spend it all. Save some. In those days, pastors t- typically did not own their own home. And I, I said, you save it. Buy a house when you get in the ministry. Don't spend it all. And he went off to Bible college and he spent it all. A lot of it wasn't on himself. I don't know how many of his friends were able to stay in school because Lyle Wing paid their college bill. He got called to go serve as the principal of a Christian school in New Mexico. And he talked to the preacher and everything seemed good. And when he got there, he found out he wasn't really the principal. That There was a, a lady who was the principal and he worked under her. And he found out that what they said they believed, they didn't really believe. They didn't really have any kind of standards. They had a boy stand up for show and tell, and he showed and told about his faith in Allah and the religion of Islam. And the teacher in the Christian school said, Isn't it nice we can all learn from each other's religions? No, it's not. We learn from the Word of God. Lao was going to have to compromise the most basic of his beliefs to stay there, and he called me up and said, Preacher, what do I do? He said, well, you got to quit. I said, quit at semester, make it a little less awkward for the preacher. I said, he said, what am I going to do? Where do I go? I said, well, come home. We love you. We'll help you. And he came home. He got a little trailer to live in. He got a job cutting meat at a buck or so above the minimum wage. And the devil said, oh, you're going to sell your home and spend the money on your education and help a lot of your friends get educated, but you don't care because you're going to go off and serve God. Yeah, you got dreams. We'll see what will become of your dreams. It's good to dream. Those who have no dreams love to destroy the dreams of those who do. But I want you to notice this. What becomes of your dreams does not depend on them. It depends on you. 
You know the story, Joseph Anna being sold into the house of a man named Potiphar in Egypt as a slave. Every time you find Joseph, he's the same. Whether you find him in the pasture trying to find his brothers and fulfill the instruction of his father, you find him in the pit being ready to be sold, you find him at Potiphar's, you find him in prison, or you find him in the palace of Pharaoh, he's always the same. He always does right. He always works hard. He always honors God. He always rises to the top. Joseph's a slave now, but he works hard and Potiphar notices it and Potiphar gives him more and more liberty. And finally, the Bible says that Potiphar knew not what he had in the house, save the bread that he did eat. Somebody else noticed Joseph, Mrs. Potiphar. The Bible says Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. That's not two ways of saying the same thing. Goodly means he had a handsome countenance and well-favored means he had a good physique. So he would have been a lot like... Well, you know what I mean. He'd have been a lot like Brother Andreas and I think we used to be. (laughs) She said, hey, we ought to get together. He said, no, ma'am. You belong to your husband, not to me. I can't do this great evil and sin against God. And you know the story how she turned the tables and said that he came after her and he goes to jail, but he rises to the top in jail and, and uh, he's put in charge of the prisoners and, and, uh, and he, he works hard and he tries to honor God. And even when he has a couple of his charges, fellow prisoners, but those he has authority over and, and is responsible for and they look sad. And he said, what's the matter? You look sad. Well, we've had dreams. Nobody can interpret. You know, if I'd been Joseph, I might have said, hey, I do a little dream interpreting let me see if i can help you now joseph joseph said do not interpretations belong to god and there he rots in the jail probably about 13 years depending how long he worked at potiphar's before he went to jail the bible tells us in the psalms that the fetters hurt him he was in a terrible dank difficult place in his life and the devil says oh you're gonna lead your brethren you're gonna do all this we'll see what'll become of your dreams but wait a minute wait a minute joseph never changed joseph never compromised he could have been disillusioned by the betrayal of his brothers he could have been discouraged at the fact that he became a slave he could have been tempted to defile himself with Potiphar's wife, but Joseph always honored God and Joseph always did right. And I want to remind you, your friends can't destroy your dreams. Your foes can't destroy your dreams. Your families cannot keep you from accomplishing your dreams. What becomes of your dreams depends on you, not on them. One more thing. The very thing that seemed to destroy Joseph's dreams was the thing God used to fulfill his dreams. The very thing that seems to destroy our dreams, maybe the things God is using to fulfill our dreams. See, God doesn't lead us in a straight line. Our Father's way, the poet said, may twist and turn, but I know that he makes no mistake. And as you read the lives of God's servants, very seldom do they just go from point A to point B with no interruption and no obstacles and no detours and no sidetracking. No, no, no. A lot of it's like Joseph and and Joseph in jail says to those two, the butler and the baker, uh, interpretations belong to God. And he said to the butler, in three days, you'll be back serving Pharaoh. When you do, he said, remember me. Only time he asked for help for himself in the whole story. 
Think on me when it should be well with thee. But the butler didn't remember Joseph, the Bible says, but he forgot him. And two years passed, and Pharaoh had a dream that nobody could explain. And the butler said, I do this day remember my fault when Pharaoh was wroth with thy servant. And I was in Jericho, and there was a Hebrew. And he said, bring him out. And Joseph stands before Pharaoh, and he says, it is not in me, O Pharaoh. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And he said, there's going to be seven really good years, and then seven really bad years. Save up something, why don't you? During the good years, so you'll have something. During the bad years, I wish somebody in government knew that. And then he said, Pharaoh said, hey, why don't you be in charge of that? And Joseph becomes the prime minister, as it were, the number two man in the number one country in the world. And the famine spreads after the seven good years down to the land of Canaan, where his brothers live. And after a couple of years, they find out there's grain in Egypt. And they come back. And Joseph now is 39 years old. He was 17 when they sold him into slavery. They don't recognize him. He has an Egyptian name, Zaphnathpaneah, an Egyptian wife, half Egyptian children. He's been speaking the Egyptian language longer than he spoke the Hebrew language that don't recognize him but joseph recognized him and the bible said then joseph remembered his dreams because his brothers walked in and saw the second most powerful man in the world and they bowed down to him hey wait a minute it was not in spite of the fact that they sold him to be enslaved and in spite of the fact that potter's wife lied about him and he went to jail and in spite of the fact that he met that butler who didn't at first remember oh no 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 it's because he was a slave that he went to potter's house and because his brothers betrayed him he'd become a slave and because he was at potter's he went to jail and because he's in jail he met the butler and because he met the butler then he met pharaoh and because he met pharaoh then he interpreted his dream and gave him a suggestion and because of that he became the number two man in egypt and because of that all of his dreams were fulfilled. Oh, I forgot to tell you. We never got that $725,000, not a dime of it. But we did buy some property. We now have 52 acres of land at First Baptist Church of Bridgeport. Somewhere around 80,000 or 100,000 square feet of buildings on them. We uh, we did hire the staff, and we did start Bridgeport Baptist Academy, which has now completed 41 years of Christian education. And we did build buildings for several missionaries, and we did build that auditorium and another auditorium. I don't know why God let all those other people think they're going to get money that they never got, but I'll tell you what was for us. God was expanding our vision. We thought, what would we do if we had the money? And God said, once your vision's in line with what I want you to do, you don't need some big donor to give you all that money at one time i'll raise up my people to help you and sustain you and you are you have here everything that you need to to do everything i want you to do did you know all the money that the heritage baptist church needs for everything god wants it to do is already here it's in your pocket and your bank account and it's your preacher's job to get it and i expect he'll do his job Mm, probably should have told you. Steve Pettit did what the Bible said in the book of James and said, would you pray over my wife? And we got the deacons and staff together and we anointed her with oil and we prayed for God to heal her. And the doctor says she has been in remission from that cancer now for almost 35 or more years. And Steve Pettit did go on to be an evangelist and travel all around the world and he's still serving God as the president of a Christian college. Yeah, we'll see what will become of his dreams. Lyle Wing came back. Lived in a trailer and cut meat. 
And then we had an opening at the Bridgeport Baptist Academy and we hired him and he did a wonderful job. It was a great help in the ministry in so many ways. And God opened the door for him to buy a four-bedroom house out on about three-quarters of an acre of land in the country and Lyle Wing served happily there. And then he went down and he worked for a Christian organization in Tennessee. And the last time I spoke to him about his work in ministry there, he said, I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. We'll see what will become of your dreams. It's good to dream. Those who have no dreams love to destroy the dreams of those who do. Don't you dare be a dream killer. What becomes of your dreams doesn't depend on them, depends on you. And the very thing that seems to destroy your dreams may be exactly the thing that God is using to fulfill your dreams. But you've got to be like Joseph. Always honor God. Always work hard. Always do everything that you can do. Always do right. I've dreamed many dreams that never came true. I've seen them vanish at dawn, but I've realized enough of my dreams to make me keep dreaming on. I've prayed many prayers when no answer came, though I waited patient and long. But answers have come to enough of my prayers to make me keep praying on. I've had many friends that proved untrue and left me to weep alone, but I've had enough friends who've proved true blue to make me keep trusting on. I've sown many seeds that fell by the way for the birds to feed upon, but I've held enough golden sheaves in my hand to make me keep sowing on. I've known my share of disappointment and pain. I've gone many days without song, but... I've sipped enough nectar from the roses of life to make me want to live on.